Last week we had the elder panel. We had a blast. Um, if you were not able to check out the elder panel, whether in person or online, I just got to tell you, please go do that. Because if you don't know our elders, of course, you're probably more familiar if you've been with us for a while with Craig and J.O. because they, they're preaching so often. But we, I just felt like the way that the personalities of Dave and Clark came out and just getting to know them more uh, during that panel was so valuable. If you want to know our elders, and, and, and for us, eldership is really important. We, we have a scriptural, we, we believe that what we see in the scriptures, we have this conviction that, that the, the elders under Christ are the ones who are leading and governing the church. And so we put them before for the church last week so people could get to know them more and so that they could discuss this really important subject matter of follow-up from the sound and, and, and kind of unpacking what the prophetic ministry is and, and the value of it and how we should respond to it. So if you didn't get a chance, please go check that out. You will not be disappointed. Receive? Awesome. Cool. I expect everyone... I'm just kidding. Um, Next week, we get to launch into a vision series. Uh, we're going to talk about who Heart of the City Church is, what we believe that God has called us to. Does, does anyone know the, not the four part, but just the initial mission statement of Heart of the City? Yes, that's the short one, to be a people after God's own heart. And, and, and what that means to us, how, how we live that out is we help people. Yeah. Awesome. More of you will be able to uh, say that uh, after the next series. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about. We want, we want to keep the, fi- the vision in front of the people because we've seen over the years that vision leaks. It's something that you can, you can talk about it all the time, and it still feels like it's, sometimes it's hard to grasp. So we're going to keep digging into the vision. That's what we're going to be doing next week. And now this week is this little in-between weekend that is really no series. And you get me. And it's... And I really, I really, and, and I'm, and I'm kind of glad. I love this series. I think they're really helpful. But I really believe that God put something on my heart for, for this specific weekend that I've been, that's been stirring inside me for a while. And um, so this message, if you're taking notes today, it's called Same Team. Okay? Same Team. Kind of like in theme with Super Bowl weekend. You guys get the cleverness of that? Very clever. Thank you. You didn't have to, you didn't have to laugh. You didn't have to. The courtesy laugh, I do appreciate it though. Um, we're going to be looking at two primary passages in scripture today. We're going to be looking at John chapter 17 and Matthew 23. Now a little bit of background on John. John, the book of John, is John the disciple's gospel account. It's known as kind of the most different of the four gospels in comparison with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. John is, is it's unique. It's, it's unique in the way that uh, his, his writing style and his unique points of emphasis. And he says that his purpose in, in, writing, uh, in, in writing this account is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Can I get an amen? What a, what a beautiful purpose statement for a book of the Bible. Now, in John 17, we find Jesus, and he's praying. And it's on the night of his betrayal. And this is kind of like the most long, drawn-out kind of monologue prayer prayer that we see recorded in the scriptures specifically from Jesus. So I find that, I find that unique, and I, and I find that something that we should probably zoom in on. I mean, it's, it's a very significant portion of prayer. And I just want to invite you right now, if you'd be willing and if you're physically able and it won't cause any problems in your life, if you would stand. Um, we're going to... We're going to stand for the reading of the scripture, starting in verse 16 of John chapter 17, and we are going to read a pretty significant chunk, so bear with me, church. It will be on the Sky Bible. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was, I just want to make sure you were listening. Um, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. He told us that would happen. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Hmm. There's a lot there. Now, the book of Matthew is Matthew the disciples' gospel account. And um, Matthew, it would appear that he is primarily, not solely, but primarily kind of has his focus on Jewish people. And, and, and he is using a lot of, of snippets and references to Old Testament scriptures to show that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. Now, Matthew is broken into five sections, it seems. Um, they're called the five discourses of Jesus or the five discourses of Matthew. And these five sec- sections, uh, many, uh, what would you call them, scholars or theologians, they would believe that these five sections are actually meant to be a representation or a new form of the Pentateuch or the Torah, and that Jesus is actually a a, a greater version, as it were, of Moses, or maybe a better way to say it would be Moses is merely a shadow of Jesus. So we find in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, it's, it's almost completely dedicated to these seven woes to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. Just a little bit more scripture and then everyone can sit. It's awesome. No, I'm sorry, Risha, I wasn't rebuking you. You can totally sit. (laughs) Sorry, that was not a public rebuke. (laughs) Risha's like, oh my goodness. Okay, woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tie the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Interesting picture there. Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You guys can be seated. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. We thank you for your church, for this, this fellowship, this miraculous thing where we gather together and all of a sudden we experience you in this beautiful manifested way. And that's what we're here for. We're gathered for your name. We're gathered for your word. We're gathered for your heart. Lord, we pray that um, just even as I speak today, that anything that I would say that's coming just out of my flesh or my own weirdness and garbage, that that would fall to the ground. And it would be your truth that would stand, your word that would be planted deep inside of our hearts so that we might be utterly transformed and never the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Bosher booms one out of there. This is Philip Adams all the way back to his own 32-yard line. Oh, hit by his own man, and a penalty marker is down. I don't think you can call helmet to helmet when it's your own teammate. Again, that is just a knockout shot from his own teammate. Francis does not expect Adams to jump around. <laughs> Dennis Allen goes, wow, it's tough enough going against Darryl. Oof, the, that is just um, brutal. I found that. Uh, I, was, I was online on YouTube, and I found that in the midst of over 10 minutes of, of a montage of those kinds of plays where it's teammate on teammate. Uh, causing problems. Um, obviously, that blocker on the Raiders, I'm not really familiar with him. Um, maybe because he hits his own players. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure he, he's, he also did a lot of, a lot of good plays. Um, now I sound like I know nothing about sports. Um, I, I know some things about sports. Um, I don't doubt the intentions of that blocker's heart or, or that he wasn't trying to do the right thing, right? I mean, the guy was... He was, he was putting forth so much effort to, to shove the opposing team out of the way and to block them so that his ball carrier could travel through and, and then the, the ultimate goal would be a touchdown, right? That's the ultimate goal in football. So, um, so unfortunately, as well-intended as he was and as much effort as he put in, he ended up doing the very thing that he was trying to stop. He tackled his own teammate and in quite dramatic fashion, if I do say so myself. I mean, that wasn't like a little, that was like, bam. Like, if it, like the guy said, I don't think they can call helmet to helmet if they're on the same team. Because if that would have been opposing, I mean, that could have, that, it potentially could have been a penalty. But when I look at that, and I just love the coach's face. You just... I mean, you can just feel for the coach in that moment. You're like, we, put, we worked all week. We put this all together. And then you hit your own player to stop the play? I can empathize with the coach a little bit. Because I've actually seen quite a bit of this over the past year. And not just because I watch a lot of NFL, but because I've been watching people who bear the name Christian. Including myself, by the way. Y'all, I'm not excluding myself from that whatsoever. But I have been observing some very similar behavior in what we would call the global or universal church, in the, in, in the people of God. And um, it, is, it is a tragedy to see this kind of what, what I would call friendly fire among people who we do agree are on the same team, right? 
You see, the prayer in John 17 is famously known, if you're familiar with John 17, it's famously known for its theme of, of, of oneness and, and unity that Jesus is praying. And we actually see that, that, that term or that, that phrasing occur in four different verses in that passage. So we're going to zoom in a little bit on, on John chapter 17 right now. The first in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Second in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. And finally in verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Are you tuning into the words of Jesus this morning? I want to, it's not morning anymore, it's 12.05. I want to zoom in even further right now, even further. Okay, those were just, verse, those were just a few verses. Now we're going to even zoom in and do, just look at these really small parts of the verses, okay? Just let's, let's listen. That they may be one even as we are one. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That they may be one, even as we are one. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. What a profound oneness that Jesus must desire for us, that he would compare it to the oneness of him and the Father. That's not like we play on a bowling team together kind of oneness. It's not like we casually say hello to each other on the street kind of oneness. It is a deep and profound oneness. Not only is the oneness profound, but the consequence of the oneness, according to Jesus, is also a profound consequence. That our unity, our oneness, would provoke the world to believe that the Father sent the Son and that the Father loves the world even as he loves the Son. You see, when, when, we, when we look at the context of this scripture and what Jesus is doing, so this is less than 24 hours before his crucifixion, and he's praying this aloud in front of his closest friends, in front of his, his disciples. I would submit to you that this is not only a prayer, but that this was a time of instruction. And I would submit to you that Jesus chose this time to give this instruction through this prayer because of how close this topic was to his heart. What kind of importance, what kind of regard that he held this topic in, the oneness of his church. Now, unfortunately, it should be no surprise to you when I make the claim today that so far, so far in history, we have fallen tragically short of the oneness that Jesus prayed for in John 17. And also, unfortunately, this lack of oneness, this disunity, has been on grand display for the world to see over the past 11 months. Now, I don't want to exaggerate here. Don't hear me wrong. 
I don't want to pretend like, oh my gosh, there's never been disunity in the church like over, the, over what's happening in our world right now. Because I recognize as I look over the history of the church, the 2,000 year history of the church, that there has been great disunity. And so I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying that we're facing some challenge that is not common to man. Not at all. What I do believe is that the Lord has placed on my heart for this weekend to present perhaps the nature of this disunity, the nature of this lack of oneness. What I mean is that in this season, I have observed that we have become far too willing to criticize, abandon, and denounce other believers over reasons Oh, someone's got the, I recognize that. That's from the U version, right? Yeah. That guy's got a cool voice. Anywho, ESV? Anywho. Sorry. That was kind of a serious moment for that to happen. Well, no, that's good. The levity is good. The levity is good. You guys will know I'm not mad at you. Um, but we have become far too willing to criticize, abandon, and denounce each other, believers, for reasons that are frankly extra-biblical, meaning not found in the scriptures, unbiblical, meaning in opposition to the scriptures, or peripheral, which peripheral can be defined in a lot of ways, so I want to kind of tighten the definition for this morning as the way that I'm going to use it, meaning that perhaps found in the scriptures to some extent, but not as clear universal instruction. So touched upon, but not clearly presented for this is for everyone at all times to do. Does that make sense? This is, this is a commission of the church. This is, this is core fundamental doctrine. Like This is what believers live like. Do, does that make sense? So the three topics that I'm discussing right now are extra biblical, unbiblical, and peripheral. Now in John 17, 9, Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world, which is an interesting phrase to hear. Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world, at least in this, in this specific topic, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And he goes on to say in verse 16, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You see, we get really surprised about the world's behavior sometimes. It's, it's funny. We're, we're, there's such shock and awe when the world acts like the world. Like, oh my gosh, did the world do the world thing again? Are unbelievers acting like unbelievers? That is so offensive and strange. How, how, could we, how could we ever know that that would happen? <laughs> so that should not surprise us. When, when the world tries to cancel us or each other because of disagreement, that's what the world does. What should be highly alarming, however, is when believers, the people of God, people who claim the name Christian, Abandon, gossip about, attack each other, especially over extra-biblical, unbiblical, or peripheral reasons. That should raise an alarm in our head. Look again at Jesus' rebuke of the Jewish religious leaders in Matthew 23. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe men and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Whatever could that mean? Now, I was originally planning to give some very specific examples as I was preparing this week. Some very specific examples of extra-biblical, unbiblical, or peripheral reasons to break fellowship with believers that I've seen. However, I felt this very strong nudging from who I believe was the Holy Spirit. And, I, and what I believe he said was, he, he said, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, instead, present this concept to them and have them examine their own lives. Because if you give those specific examples at this time, you may shut a lot of ears and harden a lot of hearts unintentionally and cause more damage than good. And I went, okay. So we'll do this instead. We're going to have a little exercise where we ask some questions. We leave some space to answer those questions in our hearts. And, and, we, and we do some reflection, okay? Okay. All right. First question. Let's be honest with ourselves today, too. There's no use in fooling ourselves. What a joke. Okay. What gnats have I been straining out and what camels have I been swallowing? Selah. What have I been prioritizing over justice, mercy, and faithfulness? What lesser things have I given my time and attention to that distracted me from the weightier matters of truth? And finally, what have I allowed to become an obstacle to relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ this year? And follow-up question, was it worth it? Now, you might be thinking, now, Seth, what are you getting at here? What about iron sharpening iron? What about righteous rebuke? How are we going to land on the truth if we don't have discussion and disagreement and, and we work through it? And Oh, I totally agree. Very good questions. Very fair questions. See, this message is not at all a, a call to skirt over contentious issues or, or, or to try to avoid difficult topics for the sake of peace because that's not real peace anyway. That's avoidance. They have different definitions. It's, it's a counterfeit for peace, avoidance is. Have you noticed that in your lives? Have you noticed that in marriage? <laughs> noticed that in other relationships? Have you noticed that well, among, among a best friend, among, among people, a, a sibling or a parent or, or a child, that avoidance and peace are not the same thing? Not at all. If you know me, you know how much I value difficult conversations. I'm not always the best at them, but I have a deep conviction toward them. Honestly, I think Matthew 18 rings in my head probably at least once a week. Hey, Seth, if you got a problem, you better go to that brother. Either you work it out with me and you let it go or you go to your brother. 
over and over again, the Holy Spirit, hey, if you've got a problem, if it's enough for you to talk about with someone else, it is enough for you to talk about with the person. Anywho, the point is, I'm all about us coming together to discuss the finer intricacies of the faith, to challenge each other, and to grow with each other. I am not at all calling for something that wouldn't be that, okay? Though I will say, if we're going to go and speak the truth in love to someone, can we be sure that we are indeed speaking truth? I hear that phrase a lot. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go speak the truth in love. Are you sure? Where did you find your truth? And is it just that, your truth? Or is it the truth? There's a huge difference between, the first one isn't even, it's, it's, it's your opinion. <laughs> there is the truth and there is untruth. John, uh, John 17, 17, Jesus said it simple, simply, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's simple. Good. This message is a call to recognize the difference between core, essential truth of Scripture and personal convictions and opinions, and to know that those are two different things. Those are two different things. Now, you might be going, well, dude, I feel like you're really hating on opinions and convictions. Don't hear me wrong there. I'm not asking anyone not to have personal convictions and opinions. I think scripture absolutely leaves room for it. In fact, I think that it's, it's a very healthy part. There are some things that I can do in my relationship with the Lord that, that Clark can't. And there are things that Clark can do that I can't because we just, there's certain things in our lives. But then, this is where the problem arises is when it's not a core essential universal truth of the scriptures. And there's a personal conviction that's totally cool in that personal relationship we have with God and then you go and you enforce it on other believers that that conversation was supposed to be a one-on-one -on -one with you and Jesus. Jesus noticed that you were getting a little out of hand with alcohol and say, so he said you couldn't drink. He didn't say no one can drink. I didn't use that example in other gatherings and I'm afraid I might. I'm afraid that I might regret that one. I'm not talking about drunkenness. That actually is something that is very clearly instructed in Scripture. I'm just talking about, oh, man, I, I don't know if I should have done that one. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I'm, do you guys get it, though? Personal conviction and universal instruction? Okay, praise the Lord. Let's move on, Seth. No, this message is a call to unity in the presence of real disagreement. Look, I'm not even, I'm not just not asking you to not have personal convictions and opinions. I'm not even asking you not to talk about them. Assuming you can do that in a healthy environment, a healthy context, a healthy way. Which, by the way, rules out gossip and passive-aggressive social media attacks. You feel me? So we can talk about it. But let's be healthy about it. Let's, let's, let's get back to face-to-face -to -face a little bit, you know? I know that that's been kind of compromised during this time, but 
I'm telling you. You know the scripture where it says where two or more are gathered, that I, I'm there among them? Do you know that's in the context of difficult conversations? That's actually in the context of Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about all the steps to deal with whenever your brother is sinned against you. We're like, yes, two or three are gathered, so we're having a party when it's like, no, two or three are gathered, so I'm bringing this supernatural grace for you to have difficult conversations and for you to persevere through them and maintain relationship with each other because my spirit is present. And when my spirit is present, there is a way to be reconciled when there seems there is no way. Context. What I am asking you is this. Can we stop giving up on each other over gnats? I'll say it again. Can we stop giving up on each other over gnats? The gnat example is from, is from Jesus' words. I didn't make that one up, just, just to clarify. Can we stop gossiping and attacking each other over gnats? And if we're going to discuss gnats, can we come with a little bit of humility? A little bit of understanding. It says, hey, this is how I see it. I recognize there's not total clarity here, but I, 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 have a, I, ha, I think I have a problem with the way that you're seeing it, Zach, because I see it so differently. Hey, man, can we meet up and talk about how we see this differently and see if we can, maybe you can show me a revelation from Scripture or I can show you a revelation from Scripture. Maybe we can meet in, somewhere in the middle or maybe there's something that we can find or maybe we just land on disagreement and love each other anyway. Because after all, because after all, it's a gnat. It's a gnat. Now, I do want to take a moment because a lot of that could have just felt like rebuke. And, and I really love you. And I'm really excited about all of you. And you guys are my family. And, and I, I don't want you to feel like this is one big. So it's not that. I want to thank you for being here today, whether in person or online, because that communicates to me to some great extent that you have not yet given up on this relationship. So thank you. That is so precious to my heart. I also want to thank you if you have been one of those ones who've been willing to go have those difficult and yet healthy conversations and maybe even land on disagreement, but stick with your brother or sister in Christ and, and tough it out and go, we don't see eye to eye on this, but after all, it is a gnat, so we can keep walking together. We don't have to be, unif we don't have to be in uniformity to be in unity. We don't have to have exactly the same opinions to be in unity with one another. It's like, imagine if we broke relationship over which football team we rooted for. Ridiculous. Some people, I think, maybe do that, and that's just like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> but that, it's, it's, sometimes that's what it feels like. Nuts. So I want to thank you, those people, you who are here in person online, you who have had those difficult conversations, and maybe you're, maybe even I've had a difficult conversation with you, and you're like, Seth, I still don't know if I like you very much, but you're here? Come on. I love you. That's dope. That you don't even know if you like me because of how much we disagree, and you're here? Oh, that's a win. That is a win. That being said, that being said, I think collectively as the people of God, we've been majoring in some minor things and minoring in some major things. We've been majoring in some minor things and minoring in some major things. 
that maybe perhaps we as the people of God have been straining out gnats of personal opinion and conviction and swallowing the camels of disunity and division? Because disunity and division actually look more like camels than gnats, while personal opinions and convictions look more like gnats. And this behavior, now, Seth, why would you talk about this? Why is this important? Can't we just, like, agree to disagree or whatever and, like, okay. Here's the thing. There are grave consequences to this behavior. Wait, Seth, are you trying to say that disunity between the believers is a salvation issue? No, I'm not trying to say that. There are other grave consequences other than being in hell for eternity. Although that is very grave. Extremely grave, the most grave. There are different levels of grave gravity. There are grave consequences of this kind of behavior, the straining out of gnats and swallowing of camels uh, among believers and breaking relationship over those kinds of things because, first of all, it's a grave consequence enough that relationship is broken between believers. If that is not a grave consequence to you, we need to get it on the same page about that. That is a grave consequence to have broken relationship with other believers. Next. There is a very grave consequence, and that is that the world is watching. And you go, wait, you, why, why do we care about that? They're the world. We're the church. Like, well, we care that the world is watching, not because we're afraid of them or because we're super concerned about their opinion, but because according to Jesus, our oneness is our witness to them that he is who he says he is. And that our oneness, I'm going to take that as an amen from that baby, by the way. I appreciate the agreement. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. Okay, here we go. Our oneness is no small part of the proof of the truth of the gospel to the world around us. I don't know if you felt that. Sorry, I don't know if I said that right. Our oneness is no small part of the proof of the truth of the gospel to the world. Ooh, that one. I don't know if I like that one. Talk to Jesus, man. Why don't you all stand? We're going we're gonna to close up here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word.